Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the book of Exodus chapter 9. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. Exodus chapter 9, we'll start in verse 1. The most boring professor I ever had in college was my world history professor, Dr. Williams. And I love world history. He was a great guy, and he's probably with the Lord these days. But Dr. Williams would give long lectures in the most soothing, monotone voice you've ever heard in your life. Add to that the fact this class was right after lunch, and um, sometimes it was kind of hard to stay awake. So when Dr. Williams looked out and saw some of his students nodding off, he would just keep on teaching. But he would raise the volume of his voice while doing so, just like this. And when Dr. Williams raised the volume of his voice, you knew that was his way of getting your attention. I believe that we're going to see something similar in the passage we're going to study this morning. This is our third week looking at these ten plagues in Egypt, ten supernatural acts with which God struck Egypt in order to get their attention. And in all of these, God is basically answering the question that Pharaoh asked back in chapter 5 when he asked, who is the Lord that I should worship him? And you will notice something as we go further along in studying these plagues. You'll notice that they are increasing in severity. The longer Pharaoh refuses to heed what Moses says, the more hardened his heart becomes, the tougher and the worse these plagues get. Now, at the beginning, it was just a nuisance. The Nile turned to blood and the whole land smelt like dead fish. And then you got frogs. Frogs everywhere and then come the lice now that begins to really irritate the people lice everywhere on man and beast and then you have these swarms of flies remember the bible says that they devoured the people that means these were biting flies they would sting the people it hurt it's getting worse and worse when it comes to the fifth and sixth plagues which we're going to look at this morning we're going to notice they are much more costly and they're starting to get deadly it's as if god is raising his voice in order to get their attention now i'm just curious how many of you would honestly say by raising a hand at some point in his own way, God had to raise his voice to get your attention in your life. Anybody good? I'm glad I'm not the only one. And I bet if I asked you, how did God raise his voice? How did God get your attention? Some of you might say, there was a sickness. Maybe for some of you, it was a near-death experience. Maybe there was a death in the family. Maybe there was a relationship that fell apart. Maybe there was some failure, a business venture, or you were laid off. Maybe you went through a divorce. Maybe it was something your son or your daughter said to you. Now, God can use any of these things to get our attention. If we're walking closely with God, God can get our attention with just a whisper. But the farther away we are from God, 
the more he must raise his voice and the louder he has to speak and the more it is going to take. And that is why it is so important to heed what God says when he does get our attention. Well, this morning, as we look at these next two plagues, there are a few more lessons that we're going to learn, a few more things that God may be trying to teach us as he is getting our attention. And this morning, we're going to focus on some things that only God can do. God wants us to know, first of all, that only God can sustain us. When God is getting our attention, he wants us to know that only God can sustain us. Now, in verse 1, Moses goes to Pharaoh and essentially preaches to him the same sermon that he has preached again and again. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. Once again, Moses tells Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. God's going to deliver Israel so that they may serve him, just like likewise we are delivered, we are saved in order to serve. And once again, Pharaoh was warned of the judgment that will come if he does not listen. Moses told Pharaoh there will be severe Pestilence, And I want you to notice that word severe in verse 3. It's the Hebrew word kabed, and it's the same word that is used repeatedly to describe Pharaoh's heart. Did you know that? The plagues are kabed because Pharaoh's heart is kabed. In other words, the judgment matches the person. And in this case, judgment meant the hand of the Lord will be on your livestock. Now, you remember last week when the plague of lice came and what the priests said? They said, this is the finger of God. Well, this time, it's not the finger of God. It is the hand of God which is against them. Now, if God's hand is against you, understand that you cannot and you will not win. It's kind of like if you're taking an exam and you study and study and study for this exam and you know the material like the back of your hand. Finally, the day comes, you sit down, you take the test, it's multiple choice, but when you look down at the page, you can't help but notice that all of the answers listed are incorrect, that none of the right answers have been made available for you to choose from. And no matter what answer you give to any question will be wrong over and over again. Well, when God's hand is against you, if God's hand is against us, all we can do is fail because the only answers that we will have will be wrong answers. So the hand of God is going to be against Egypt, but notice this. What about Israel? 
We're going to notice something that started with the fourth plague that continues with the fifth plague. Look at verse 4. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Once again, God determined that this plague would not affect the Hebrews. It would only affect Egypt. Now, the Israelites did have to go through the first three plague, but not the rest. And I want you to notice the wording, how strong it is. In verses 6 and 7, it says that all of the livestock of Egypt died, but among Israel, not one died. Could you imagine being an Egyptian rancher? You're staring out at the field and everything is fine, and then all of a sudden, at a set moment, your cattle just immediately begin to fall over dead. And then you find out that the same thing happened at the ranch next door and the other ranch next door, and then some poor guy has to be the guy to go tell Pharaoh that all of his cattle died as well. He wants to know what happened. No one knows what to say. And so the Bible says in verse 7 that Pharaoh sent some of his servants on a fact-finding mission. He sent them to Goshen, where the Israelites were, because he wanted to know one thing. Did this happen to them? And the answer was no, not even one. You see, in God's plan, it was very important that Pharaoh know that none of Israel's livestock were harmed. He needed to see and know that God was sustaining his people so that he would learn the lesson that only God can sustain. Now, God has numerous ways of sustaining us, whether it's a plague or whether it's some storm or trial that you're going through in life. Sometimes God will sustain his people by making the trial end. We love that. Sometimes God will sustain us by leaving the trial in place but pulling us out of it. And we love that too. But sometimes God has a way of sustaining us, not by ending the trial or pulling us from the trial, but sometimes God does it by actually preserving us in the midst of the trial. And I believe that it's very significant in this story that at this point, God does not yet remove Israel from Egypt. He preserves Israel in the midst of Egypt during all of these plagues. We sang that song a few moments ago. He will hold me fast. Sometimes the world just needs to see God holding us fast. 
Sometimes the world needs to see God sustaining His people so that the world will know that only God can. And sometimes we need to be reminded as well, sometimes God has to actually get our attention so that we will remember that only God can sustain us. He has to remind us that He's the only one who can sustain our homes. He's the only one who can sustain our nation. He's the only one who can sustain our lives. And that's what God taught Pharaoh. Maybe that's what God is teaching us today. Well, there's another message that God might be teaching us during those times when He's getting our attention. Not only is it true that only God can sustain us, but only God can satisfy us. Only God can satisfy us. Once again, we're going to see in this play God putting on trial all of the false gods of Egypt and finding them to be false. Some of these gods that the Egyptians worshipped, they seem so silly to us, don't they? I mean, let's be honest. We read the story and we think, how in the world could anybody worship a frog? Really? But when we come to this fifth plague it strikes a little bit closer to home. And you know why? When we come to this fifth plague, we see that more than any other, it exposes some of the same gods that people around us are still worshiping today. And it's interesting, we assume that we're on this upward trajectory towards enlightenment. We assume that as a society, as a world, we're just going to get better and better and better. But you know what we're going to find out? The same root problem at the heart of man back then is the same root problem in the heart of man today. We may have better technology, we may have more knowledge, we may have better inventions, but the heart of the problem is still the heart of the problem that has not changed, and it never will. So we need to remember when we read this story, we're not just like those people. In a sense, we kind of are those people and you think, oh, but pastor, I don't know about that. Uh, what kind of gods did they worship in, in, in Egypt that have uh, any similarity to the gods that people worship today? Well, let me just mention to you three false gods uh, that men worship today. Gods that cannot satisfy. And in each case, we're going to see a connection to what is happening here in Egypt. One false god that people worship today is the god of money. Several of the gods in the Egyptian pantheon uh, were depicted as livestock. And these gods, without naming them all, supposedly guaranteed wealth and prosperity. So when the fifth plague hit, this one hit them where it hurt. This one hit them in their wallet. This was complete economic destruction. The oxen they needed for heavy labor, the camels, the donkeys for transportation, the horses they needed for chariots, the sheep they needed for wool, for clothing, some of these animals they needed for milk, for, for meat. And God allowed all of this prosperity to be taken away. By the way, don't think for one second that in our great country, God could not do that. God can and is willing to do so. God was teaching them not to trust 
in their prosperity because their prosperity cannot satisfy. It's not, of course, just the Egyptians who worship the false god of money, right? In fact, I'm going to go a step further. It's not just the Egyptians who would use cattle as an image for the false god of money and prosperity that they worship. Say, Pastor, where in the world do you get that idea? Well, I went to New York once. I visited Wall Street, and this is what I saw right outside. It just seems ironic to me that in the place that represents economic power, the place that represents prosperity, the first thing you see the statue of a bull. Folks, don't tell me that people don't still have their idols today. You better believe they do. And isn't it interesting these days, it's not a secret, that most billionaires in the world are secretly miserable. Those who've really given themselves over to the false god of money, I mean, think about it. If you have not only millions of dollars, but billions of dollars, you can do just about whatever you want. There's a championship game. You can pick whatever seat you want to sit in. You want something to eat? You've got your own team of chefs to cook it for you. It's going to be fabulous. You want to go somewhere exotic? You've got a private jet to take you. And yet, all of that. And folks are still miserable. You realize Jeff Bezos the owner of Amazon, one of the biggest companies in the world, perhaps the richest man in the world, even he recently had one of those midlife crises, the kind where he's out doing the same dumb things that that guy down the street does or that guy in the office does. Even Jeff Bezos. Why is that? Because money can't satisfy. That's why. It can't satisfy, and it can't save. We remember what Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? The answer is not a single thing. Now, these next two false gods that people worship today, uh, I'm going to mention together because they kind of go together, but the false gods of sex and beauty, they do not satisfy. One of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped was the god Apis, A-P-I-S. Now, a lot of their idols were in the forms of cattle. But when it came to Apis, he actually was a bull. They had a bull for whom they built this great big temple, and they believed that that bull was the actual reincarnation of the god Apis. And he had his own priest. He had his own temple. They would come and sing and sacrifice to him. In fact, they even would ask him questions. You're thinking, how in the world could a bull answer their questions? I mean, how did that work? Well, they'd bring him food. If he ate it, that meant yes. If he did not eat it, that meant no. That's not a bad gig if you can get it. I wish people would do that if they had a question for me. Here, pastor, here's a croquetta. Yes or no? I would love that. But listen, this apis bull god was the god of sexual prowess. If a man wanted to woo a woman, he'd go worship apis. 
If a man were trying to help his wife get pregnant, he would go worship Apis. There was a goddess as well by the name of Hathor. She was depicted as a heifer. If there was, if there were a woman who wanted to be seen as beautiful, if she wanted a particular guy to be attracted to her, she would worship Hathor. They worshipped these two deities representing sex and beauty. Now, how many of you know that the Egyptians were not the only ones who do that? We still see people worshipping these false gods today. Nothing wrong with sex or beauty, but when they become objects of our worship, that's when there can be devastating consequences. And especially here in South Florida, in this culture, I mean, it's just assumed by the secular world that a man of the world is going to be promiscuous. A lot of people don't even think anything of it anymore. It's just assumed that a woman will have to meet some impossible standard of external beauty. Did you know that in 2019, the year before the pandemic, there were eight 18.1 million plastic surgeries in the United States. And I think most of them might have been in Miami, to tell you the truth. <laughs> We're not talking about people who have a deformity. We're not talking about anybody who has like a, a, a birth defect. We're talking about people who are never satisfied with their appearance, no matter how good-looking they may be. We're talking about folks who will spend thousands of dollars and even risk their lives to try to look a little bit better a little bit longer. You remember the story from 2009 of Solange Magnano, also known as Miss Argentina? You remember her? She died having an unnecessary plastic surgery after several doctors warned her that it was too experimental, too dangerous not to do it. Here was a woman who competed at one point just a few years earlier in the Miss Universe competition, but when Miss Magnano looked into the mirror in her own eyes, she could never be beautiful enough. Isn't that sad? The gods of sex and beauty offer temporary thrills but they do not offer lasting fulfillment. They do not save us. They cannot free us. And that is why God wants us to turn away from these false gods. He wants us to turn away from trusting in them or pursuing them. He wants us to turn away from looking to them for satisfaction in life. We remember what Jesus said in John's Gospel. He said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life isn't going to be found in money, sex, or beauty. It's what's found when Christ is at the very center of life. And many years ago, Augustine made a statement about this, and I just love what he said. Listen to this. You have made us, O Lord, for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's so true. The human heart will always be restless until it finds its rest 
in God. So with this fifth plague, God mercifully removed from the people these false gods of money, sex, and beauty. And I say that God mercifully did it because it is God's mercy to wound you if that's what it takes for you to stop looking to these other false gods. Anything at all God sends to your life, anything at all that God allows in your life that will cause you to seek Him or to know Him or draw closer to Him, whatever it is, it is a blessing and not a curse no matter how painful it may be. The gods of money, sex, and beauty cannot satisfy us. Only God satisfies. Now this leads to one more thing that we see when we look at this sixth plague, something else God's teaching us when He's getting our attention. We also learn that only God can heal us. Only God can heal us. Look at verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. With this sixth plague, it was not announced. It simply happened. God told Moses to do something interesting. I said, he said, I want you to go to the furnace. I want you to get a big hand, couple handfuls, scoop out some of the soot, some of the ashes. You know, it's interesting. It's possible these were the same furnaces that had been used to cook and make the bricks that the Hebrew slaves had to carry in doing their work. God said, go to the furnace. Stick your hands in the ashes. And he said, then, here's what I want you to do. I want you to toss them in the air. That's right, that thing LeBron does before basketball games with the powder. That's not original. God said, Moses, you go get some of those ashes. Just toss it up into the air. God told Moses to do this because it may seem strange to us, but listen, it was a common sight for the Egyptians because that's what their priest did when they offered sacrifices. It was supposed to be a sign of blessings. God took that thing that was supposed to be a sign of blessings and he turned it into a curse. Moses tossed the ashes. God miraculously caused them to spread out touching all of the Egyptians, causing boils to break out. And of course, we don't know exactly what kind of boils uh, these were. Later on in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God referenced this particular plague and he talked about tumors and scabs and itching and that it went from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. And so we're told a little bit more about this plague and we can see that this is complete physical suffering by the way i have to mention 
This is one of the plagues that the Bible says in Revelation is going to return one day during the tribulation. So just to let you know. But this plague was in particular a blow to at least three gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Thoth was the god of healing arts. And Imhotep was the god of medicine. And Sekhmet was the god of epidemics. They believed Sekhmet was the one who had the power to create an epidemic or to end an epidemic. And so if there were an epidemic, what would the priests do? The priests would go and they would worship him. They would sacrifice unto him, believing that he had the power to make it end. So notice that the Bible specifically says this time that the priests were not able to stand before Moses. You see what God is doing? The Egyptians had to learn that their gods cannot heal. Now hear me carefully. We need to learn the same. Praise God for all of our medical advances and for all of our medical workers and for all of the research for all of the cures that have been discovered. We should praise God for this. Let me remind you, the Bible says that Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, was in fact a physician. Medicine is a blessing. It is a gift from God. But hear me carefully. There is a difference between thanking God for medicine versus putting our Faith in medicine. It's one thing to trust in doctors and thank God for them. It's another thing to put our trust in God, knowing that ultimately healing comes from Him. Someone once said, medicine is a great tool, but it is a terrible deity. And that is true. Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker at some point. Eat right, work out, die anyway. It's true. 100 out of 100 people still die. That hasn't changed. The Egyptians had to learn, and we need to learn, that we cannot heal ourselves. That God is sovereign, He's in control, and His sovereignty even extends to these physical bodies of ours. We cannot heal ourselves physically. I would add, we cannot heal ourselves spiritually either. And so the question is, who is the one who can heal? Who can heal the entire person? Who can heal body, mind, and soul? Listen to this statement from Isaiah 53. It's a rich passage. I'm not going to read it all. In fact, not even going to read the whole verse. But in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, we see this famous statement. Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah, the Savior, who will eventually be born. And he says in that fifth verse, By His stripes we are healed by his stripes refers to the punishment that jesus endured when he suffered and died on the cross for you and for me and it is 
by His stripes that we are healed. Because He suffered pain and death, we can experience healing. Now, what kind of healing was Isaiah referring to? Let me just share this with you in closing. Matthew quotes this passage in Matthew chapter 8 referring to Jesus healing the sick. So Matthew quotes this in reference to physical healing. But Peter also quotes this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 in reference to Jesus healing us from our sins. A lot of people have this big debate going on. By his stripes we are healed. Is he talking about physical healing? Is he talking about spiritual healing? The answer is yes. He's talking about every kind of healing, every way in which a man or woman can be healed. And it is because Jesus went to the cross and suffered and bled and died that we can experience total healing for the whole person. Physical healing, spiritual healing, I would add mental healing, emotional healing, you name it, any kind of healing. God is the one who provides it. And so we've got to admit that we cannot heal ourselves We've got to admit that we cannot save ourselves. It is only when we place our faith in the One who loved us enough to die for us and who rose again that we can experience the complete healing and salvation that only God can provide. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, we thank You for these lessons in your word and how we do all need to be reminded that you are the only one who can sustain us, satisfy us, or heal us. And we confess to you, God, that too many times in our lives we've looked to other places for sustaining and for satisfaction and for healing. And we've placed our faith in other people or other things instead of in you. And God, we ask you to humbly, humbly we ask you to forgive us and help us to see afresh and anew this morning that if we lack any of these things in our lives, you're the only one who can do it. And so help us to turn to you and to trust you and to seek you for all of these things. And God, we realize, as your word says, that complete healing, not just these physical bodies of ours, which we know one day they get older and one day they they will die, but also there's going to be a resurrection. And one day that complete and total healing physically, you promised it to us, everyone who places their faith in you. And not just that, Lord, but our spiritual healing. Lord, we realize that only you can do it, and it's in Christ. And so, God, I want to pray this morning, if there's anybody here who's never taken that step and placed their faith in Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe in you. You died for me. You rose again. You took my stripes. The punishment should have been mine. You took it for me, for us. And therefore, I receive you and I'll follow you. God, I I pray this morning that that might be the prayer of some man, woman, boy or girl in this place or watching this message online right now that you'd knock on the door of their heart, that they would realize only you can do it, only you can save them.
We cannot save ourselves. It's only you. And so, Father, I pray for them in these moments that this will be that day of salvation for them. And God, we'll give you the thanks and we'll give you the praise for all that you are going to do. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.